tuning in today. I'm Lisa Tuggle, and this is Angela Nation, evangelizing the nation for the best and brightest future of our country, our world, and our eternal souls. And what could be more important than that? Today, we are talking about the Beatitudes. You know, as an aside, I think it's interesting that this is the theme of the next episode of The Chosen, which is being released next week. Are you watching The Chosen? the television series written and produced by Dallas Jenkins uh, and recounting in a most unique and heartwarming way the events of the Gospels. You know, I really see God's beautiful signature on this production and especially in the casting and in the way that Jonathan Rumi is being led to portray Christ our Messiah in such a down-to-earth yet noble and genuinely likable way. You know, that is in fact who Jesus is. He's both divine and truly human and able to empathize with all our trials and tribulations in, in this life. Um, he is truly the best friend anyone could ever have. And he's a good sense of humor too. So it's really a beautiful series and I encourage you to check it out. Anyway, next week's episode will include the Sermon on the Mount, where as we know, Jesus delivered his famous teachings known as the Beatitudes. And that's our topic for today. So last week, we took a look at the first four Beatitudes uh, for your reflection and edification. And today we're taking up where we left off to look at the last four. So are you ready? Let's dive in. The fifth Beatitude is, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, by the way, we are in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and this is verse 7. You know, when we consider this fifth beatitude, it is worthwhile looking at what St. Paul wrote in his letter to the people of Ephesus. This is Ephesians 4.32. St. Paul wrote, quote, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, even if someone is truly unkind to me, and this has in fact happened and will likely continue to happen on occasion in this fallen world. You know, I can make a choice to be like God or to be like my oppressor who is unkind. The choice is always up to us. Do I want to be unkind in thought, word, or deed in return? How does that liberate me from the same pit into which my neighbor has fallen by being unkind to uh, me? Unkindness never makes a person happier, only more bitter and more unhappy. So on the most basic level of human logic, we, we can see that being merciful is good for us and makes us happier than if we do not show mercy to others. So one of the translations of blessed are the merciful is happy are the merciful, because be, beatitude is related to uh, happiness. Now, the crux of mercy are you ready? The crux of mercy is this. Mercy is showing love to those who do not deserve it, who do not deserve our love. Have you ever thought about that? You see, we don't really deserve the love that God showers upon us. 
So surely we too can show love to those who by human standards do not appear to deserve our love. You know, think for example, if somebody's unkind to you, do they deserve, you know, our kindness or our love back? Well, see, that is where we go wrong. If we judge only by human standards and outward appearances and tit for tat, you might say that a person does not deserve your love or attention, um, maybe perhaps because they're not in your family. Now that is a human standard of judging who is worthy of your attention. Okay, now it's true that we owe, we owe a greater debt of attention and love to our own family members. That's, that's part of the uh, cardinal virtue of justice. But it's also true that strangers may require our love in the form of mercy. You may not owe it to them as you owe a family member your attention, but that is when it becomes mercy because they don't deserve it. We can think here of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, this Samaritan was considered really an enemy by Jews in Jesus' day. And yet, when he encounters a Jewish man beaten and lying by the side of the road, his heart is full of compassion. He shows great mercy to the man as if he were his own brother. He cares for him and he pays for him to stay in a nearby inn until he is fully recovered from all of his injuries. You know, he saves this man's life. He's not in, even his, in his own family and not even in his own clan. So, you know, he didn't have a family obligation to do this. <clears throat> of course, yeah, some Bible scholars would argue that Jews and Samaritans were, in fact, kind of cut from the same cloth um, and were, in a sense, brothers. But at any rate, uh, they were not family relations and certainly not in that context of Jesus' day. Um, they were not um, friends. So what the Samaritan did was not a <clears throat> favor to a friend, but an act of mercy for a stranger. So this is really a beautiful illustration of what Jesus is teaching us in the fifth beatitude. This is the fifth be behavior outlined for us as part of the new law of the new covenant family in Christ's blood. <clears throat> You know, it's an extension, an amplification of the fundamental Christian principle, love one another as I have loved you, right? That's from John 13, 34. <clears throat> Jesus says to us, quote, lay down your lives for one another as I have laid down my life for you. Okay, this is love. And an aspect of love is mercy, that sacred moment when you recognize yourself in the sinner who is sinning against you. When you recognize your own capacity to behave badly and rudely, and you look with the eyes of compassion on another human being, you know, that is being truly human and truly divine-like at the same time, because this is how God has treated you and continues to treat you and me. So try to see your own weakness or potential for weakness when you encounter the weakness or sinfulness of others. So the most merciful act you can do for someone who is falling into sin is, well, not only to look at them with eyes of love and mercy, but actually to take it a step further and pray for them. Because, you know, love means willing the good of another person. And by praying, we express our hope for the good, for the best and brightest future uh, for that person. So that is um, mercy in a nutshell. Let's move on to the sixth beatitude, which is this. Happy are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. 
For blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Wow. Now that's a nice promise. Do you want to see God? <laughs> um, let me tell you something. There's this term reconciliation that we use, like when we turn back to God. And do you know where we get this term reconciliation? It literally means concilia with your eyelashes, like being face to face again with one uh, you love, one from whom you have been estranged. So to see God concilia with your eyelashes face to face is to be in the presence of his almighty glory uh, and to experience, you know, what the disciples, Peter, James, and John must have been elated to experience when they saw Jesus transfigured on Mount Tabor. You know, he was transfigured in glorious light before their very eyes and with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other, shining in glory. Wow, that must have been something. You know, I think it was a foretaste of heaven when we will see God face to face, be reconciled, concilia, and feel his magnificent glory and light all around us, which, you know, dispels all darkness. So, but even before we reach those heavenly shores, when all is glory and light, and especially in order that we be able to, to go there, um, we have to become the kind of person that is capable of withstanding such beatific vision, such light. In other words, we need to become pure. You know, light from light uh, is in the uh, Nicene Creed, true God from true God, light from light. So we have to be pure like God to be able to live in that environment of purity, right? Um, we have to be um, clear, not opaque, not dishonest, um, and not fooling ourselves or anyone else. Okay? So what does it mean to become pure? Well, you know, there are many uh, aspects to this. Personal purity encompasses mind, what you think, your heart, and what you uh, 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 attach your, your heart to, and your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know. And, and personal purity encompasses memory, imagination, and will. Now, an alarming number of people today nonchalantly venture headlong into sins of sexual impurity, okay? While it may bring some type of passing thrill, it cannot really bring happiness. Sexual impurity goes against our true human nature, our true human dignity and integrity. So to be an integrated person, so you're not lying with your body, like I'm going to love you forever and then you're actually not going to. You know, our true human dignity uh, doesn't... Um, want to steal something from someone else that does not belong to us, you know, like um, their, their whole being. You know, if you're going to use somebody's whole being for a short time, that's not what the conjugal love is, was set up to be. You know, um, when you share your whole self, it should be fully received in such a way that you spend the rest of your life with that person. And that's the truth about um, sexual sexuality. So, um, you know, sexuality is very intimate and private matrix of body and soul, emotions and psyche that together form the capacity of a human person to love and to be loved in a lifelong attachment. So if you frustrate that early in life with lots of partners, you know, it's going to be harder and harder for you to actually love truly as a human being ought to in a lifelong attachment. Okay, so anyway, so sexual sins arise, I suspect, from us having forgotten who we are, 
as temples of the Holy Spirit. And so if we could remember that, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, we are, that we are created with an astounding mission of reflecting God's glory as temples of his eternal spirit, you know, I think <clears throat> that uh, we would be more careful not to grieve the spirit, so to speak, not to drive the Holy Spirit out of our lives by committing acts of false or misplaced affection of the heart or mind or body of, or of objectifying others for sexual pleasure without commitment. And any number of acts that tell us in the world around us that we, we truly don't know who we are or that we are made to be loved with an everlasting love, you know, represented in this life uh, as a lifelong conjugal commitment in marriage, right? We are made to be loved, to love and to be loved with an everlasting love. Now here, I just want to point out that not everyone is called to express that reality of being made for everlasting love in the context of marriage. You know, many, many people live celibate lives and bear witness to this reality that we are made for everlasting love, but they're not married. You know, you don't need to be married or sexually active to experience the fullness of humanity, of your human life, because the fullness of your human life is to bear witness to this everlasting love, you know, which can be experienced in different, different ways. You know, you have the full capacity for it, even if you remain single. So purity must necessarily also entail thoughts and attitudes. We are pure when we see others with the eyes of God, that is loving them in the way that God loves them, not for selfish reasons, but because they exist as an end in themselves, because God made them with such dignity as to reflect his image and likeness in memory, imagination, and will. You know, those are the sort of the, the three um, key faculties of the human being that um, bear witness to the image of God in us. You know, it's imprinted on us, right? So this is how you can um, witness to God and his image <clears throat> without being married. So every human being has memory, imagination, and will, and these faculties uh, gloriously uh, reflect the divine image. Now, Father Jacques Philippe, one of my uh, great spiritual uh, mentors, I read his books a lot and have met him. Um, he writes uh, in his book, Eight Doors of the Kingdom, it's on page 167, Eight Doors of the Kingdom. He says this about purity. He says, purity and impurity are not in things, but in one's way of seeing them. Okay, so it is how we look at others and our circumstances, whether selfishly or unselfishly, that makes all the difference. And that is how we can be pure and go to heaven. <clears throat> Let's put on the mind of Christ, which is the Pauline spirituality, that he might be formed in us, in mind, heart, uh, body, and soul, so that we might um, be conformed to him. And that's what makes us uh, capable of living in heaven. All right, beatitude number seven is, blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. <clears throat> Some translations say children of God, but I like to use that masculine term because, you know, one of the titles of Jesus Christ is son of God. That's a messianic title. And if we want to enter into that messianic kingdom, 
that is the person of Christ in a mystical way. Let's be sons of God with him. You know, that, that's a, a beautiful image. I don't want to lose in the translation by just making it a neutral, uh, you know, gender neutral children of God. It's really about a son of God and, and living all in Jesus Christ, the son of God, who's uh, the Messiah. Now, okay, peacemakers make everyone happy again, don't they? That is a good thing. If you are a peacemaker, <clears throat> you get in the middle and you keep, uh, you know, bringing people together, <clears throat> keep doing what you're doing. That's great. Now, of course, the best thing is always to draw people to practice peacemaking themselves. So if you're a peacemaker, try to help the people you help to become peacemakers yourself. So you become a bit obsolete in their relationship. You don't want to, you don't want to get into a situation where you're always required, you know, so that you don't have to be the one always getting in the middle and cleaning up the messes. Let's, let's teach one another how to be peacemakers. Peacemaking ought to be a temporary teaching moment so that those involved will learn to strive for peace as well. Now let's turn again to St. Paul's letters to the early Christian church and uh, indeed to all generations of Christians throughout time. Um, in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 15, we read this, and I quote, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since you are called to this as members of one body. Now, a body ought to be at peace and not in convulsions or illness, right? So we too ought to be at peace with one another. The mystical reality is that we are all one body in Christ, especially if we're baptized. So we ought not to be striving against one another or arguing, not living with grudges or bitterness or hard-heartedness or, you know, just negative thoughts about one another. But rather, let's live with thankfulness and soft-hearted forgiveness and thinking well of each other, even when it's hard, look for something good in a person and draw that out. And that is building the kingdom and becoming a peacemaker. You know, that's when the kingdom is upon us. Then Christ, Prince of Peace, reigns in us. And it reigns more and more and more in that person. You know, when you find Christ in that person and start bringing him out, you know, start focusing on it. Don't focus on the faults, focus on the positive. Accentuate the positive as the, sign, as the song goes, right? So let Christ reign in you in this way and reign in the people around you. Then you will be free and you will be happy. All right. So this, uh, these Beatitudes are not just about happiness in heaven. It's happiness right here on earth in human relating. So let's be um, people who allow Christ to rule in our hearts as Prince of Peace. Now, sometimes peacemaking and showing mercy and forgiving others does not end up all rosy and happy, even though we would hope that it would. Sometimes it may not feel very happy, especially if you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Sometimes people hate and revile you all the more when you do what is right and good and when you show mercy and forgiveness, and when you look at them with the eyes of compassion, or when you even just smile at them. Now, let's be honest now. Some people have so given themselves over to vice and to sin that your goodness is repugnant to them. You know, in those moments, be clear, it is not your sin about which they are upset. They are upset because of their own sin. 
Even should they accuse you of many things of which you are innocent, even if they should bear false witness against you and in their convoluted minds imagine that their assessments of you are actually factual, even when they are not, in those times you must recognize that you are not in the wrong and you must remain at peace and take refuge in the shadow of the wings of the Almighty, okay? Take refuge. God is your sure reward. His presence is buckler and shield. He will send his angels to guard you and to defend you if what you suffer is not willed by God for your purification in some way, all right? And if, if it is willed in, you know, for your purification, then praise God for that too, because you're becoming pure, and that's a good way to become happy. Okay, so the last beatitude um, uh, goes along with this subject of being persecuted, and it is this. Blessed or happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it goes on in verse 11 to say, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets before you. Now, this, I believe, is the culmination of the spiritual ascent to likeness to God in Christ. Christ, the God-man, the long-awaited Messiah, was a suffering servant. He prepared all of his life to carry out this unique mission in a most noble and successful manner without breaking down or crying or complaining or without lashing out at his unjust persecutors, without hating them, but instead loving them with that everlasting love we talked about earlier that we we're all uh, made for, that everlasting love for which we are all made. So we can be happy even in persecution, even when bearing insults, and false allegations because the devil has stirred up some pogrom against you on account of your desire for purity and peace, mercy and love and goodness. When a soul is beautiful, shining with the light of God, the diabolical enemy just can't stand it. And that is usually why innocent people like Jesus Christ are falsely accused and maltreated. It is because of their likeness to uh, the divine master that people today are uh, maltreated and falsely accused. So rejoice when that happens to you. Rejoice as the apostles did when they were found worthy to be lashed for the sake of the name and the mission of Christ. Rejoice and be glad. You can really be happy in Christ no matter what comes your way. Well, um, I hope you've enjoyed some of these um, thoughts and reflections on the Beatitudes, which uh, are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Sermon on the Mount of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Uh, they truly are attitudes and dispositions and actions that enable us to enter into the kingdom of heaven in some way right here on earth. Well, that is all we have time for today. Next time, we will take a look at a book by Blessed James Alberioni titled Mary, Hope of the World. So take a look at it, search, search for it online, see if you can get a copy, um, it'll be worth it. Uh, Mary, Hope of the World is the title, and it's by Blessed James Alberioni, that's A-L-B as in boy, 
E-R-I-O-N-E. That's Italian. So that's Giacomo Alberioni in Italian. But you can probably just search for the priest, Father James Alberioni, and Mary Hope of the World, and it'll, it'll, it'll show up. So anyway, that's what we'll uh, uh, tackle next week. Uh, until then, may the peace which surpasses all understanding dwell in you richly. And until next time, bye now. Thank you.